Welcome to Lorehammer Listener Lore, the Warhammer 40k podcast where you get to write the script. If you would like to submit your story, you can email lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the show and maybe even jump your story in the line, or maybe even read stories with me, or maybe you have a story you would like to read to me, head on over to Patreon at Lorehammer Listener Lore and check out all the cool ways to get involved and support the show. Enjoy. Welcome back to Lorehammer Listener Lore, the 40k podcast where you get to write the script. Joining me today, I got uh, Macriel. Is that how you say your Discord name? Macriel, yes, yes. Oh, uh, which is, yeah. yeah, very good, very good. You pronounced in the unfathomable name really well. <laughs> very cool. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, today we're going to be sharing a, a high fleet that you have written about, a splinter fleet. So... Um, do you have any like one sentence teaser you want to share before we get in? Um, well, I mean, it's I'm not sure if it's a one sentence teaser, but it's more this is the kind of the background for the, the high fleet that I'm also painting up as part of the competition from Lohammer. So cool. it's uh, a little bit of a background I've been dreaming up really uh, while painting all of these <laughs> tons and tons of counts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's all you can pretty much do. Try to turn your brain off and just batch paint. 50 guns. Indeed. Cool. Well, uh, let's get into it. Uh, you got a very cool picture here uh, of your guys. They got this like kind of bright blue skin and yellow chitin. It's very cool. Yes. I have also all uh, overseen by my wonderful hive tyrant uh, where yeah. you don't see that in a picture, but he has like this uh, peacock feathered and feathers on the wings. Oh, really? Which okay. is one of the things I, I will show you another picture later. Uh, yeah. Uh, this, where one of the things where you it sounds like a really great idea at the beginning, but then when you start painting one of them and you realize just how big <laughs> those wings are, <laughs> it turns into why did I do that to myself? That's funny. And then you go back to painting fifty guns. So then you know. Oh yes. Well, the guns don't have the wings. Uh, the wings on it. <laughs> They're fine. Uh, oh. But I'm dreading the gargoyles already. So that will be <laughs> very cool. Uh, yeah, let's uh, start sharing. All right. So yes. So the the hive uh, fleet is a hive splinter of uh, Leviathan. So the hive splinter called Angerboda, uh, named by Space Wolves. Uh, we'll, we'll get to, to that in a little bit. So it's a relatively large splinter of Leviathan, and its current goal is more like a voyage of discovery. So the fleet is boldly going to when no tyrannid has gone before to <laughs> eat up new cultures and civilizations. Cool and. What uh, I like to also to bring in with this one is that there should be a splinter feed which is focusing on stealth and infiltration and assassination. So more like a spec ops fleet. And the most common biomorph would be this chameleon skin so that they kind of can get around undetected and also change then their skin to, to shock uh, their, their opponents. <laughs> uh, they use a lot of um, uh, parasitic uh, uh, creatures and also I uh, make use of Gene Seal's cults, which I'm planning to get at some point, but not quite yet. I'm first focusing on the turnets themselves. Ooh. And yeah, uh, I guess we get into a little bit in what kind of uh, forces they, they bump into. 
Um, so I will start, just start with the first paragraph, and that is about the fall of mechatonics. Um, the Marcos Xenologis Bacchus Kiefer stumbles toward the designated landing site of his archaeocopter, which itself is darting and dashing, trying to await the swarms of gargoyles and haze of living ammunition chafing after it. The defending Skitari form a thin red line between the endless sea of creatures and the last remaining safe zone of mechatonics. Kafer suppressed the irony subroutine that drew away some of his processing power, but could not help feeling emotional upon seeing the ruins of the mighty titans in the distance. The holy machines that symbolized the power of the Omnisia were overrun by swarms of weak, fleshy creatures and looked like overgrown relics of a bygone era. This moment of reflection distracted Kafer for about 23.7 milliseconds, which was enough for a gene stealer to attack him, seemingly out of nowhere. Kafer felt the pain as the creature bit deep into his fleshy bits. Uh, of the uh, further attacks as we were thrown on the ground by the assault of the creature. A simple command signaled the nearby unit of Skitari, prompting them to open fire at point blank on the hated Xenos. Acidic blood hissed over as it dissolved Kafer's sacred robes, but ran off mostly harmless from the machine-reinforced body underneath. Kafer lifted himself up with extra servo limbs just as the archaeodopter touched down. With haste unbecoming his lofty position, he boarded the wing transport, surrounded by the few remaining skitari of his personal retinue. As the wing machine lifted his elegant body, Kafer could hear the sound of shrapnel drizzling uh, against the hull and the gnawing of living animation trying to chew through the exposed cables. Kiefer accessed um, aerial picked feeds and was puzzled by the formations he saw. The tyrannic creatures of the high fleet, now named Angeboda, were operating in packs that seemed almost perfect geometrical shapes. They formed squares, triangles, stars, waves, and other shapes, almost as if they were writing some foul Xenos language upon the battlefield. In the many decades Kiefer had spent analyzing, dissecting, categorizing, and exterminating the tyrannic threat, he'd never seen anything like it. This whole high fleet was an enigma to him. He who was used to identifying patterns in the behavior, behaviors of Xenos species. These patterns were vital for the Imperium to be able to fight back the Tyranids, to stand a chance to beat the Xenos menace. Every chance, change in tactics by a high fleet is a disaster, and fighting Angeboda was like fighting every high fleet at once. The lines and shapes by the Xenos creatures drew on the battlefield were mesmerizing to Kefa who found these artificial limbs feel odd, almost as if they were towering. As his archicopter escaped, the defenders of Microtonics were overwhelmed by the Xenos creatures. Okay, that was pretty cool. Um, I need to know more about the shapes. Does this come up more? Uh, maybe. Maybe, okay, good enough. Uh, yeah, cool little short story. Um, let's jump into the next one about them. The mystery of Keith Annie, five. Sergeant Claudius Antonius, primary space marine of the Ultramarine Second Company, third squad intercessor, walked into the ruins of what used to be the regimental headquarters of the Tempestus Scion stationed on Kiathoni five. All communications to Kiathoni five had also been lost in the midst of the hive fleet Agnobonga invading the sector. However, after the high fleet had moved on, a scout vessel of the xenologists of the Circle Varnak found the planet not a lifeless rock, but still teeming with life, albeit not human life. The planet had suspicious little signs of Tyranid activity either. 
This puzzled xenologists, and they petitioned the Adeptus Astartes for aid in uncovering this mystery. The xenobiologists had started surveying the cities and forests in the weeks since they had landed, but had found not a single sign of human life. It was as if Imperial citizens had all just decided to leave, and the local flora and fauna had started to reclaim the planet. Claudius pushed aside a pillar to enter one of the command bunkers. It was quite clear that there had been a desperate fight to the death here, but no signs of dead bodies, either human or Xenos. On their way, they found wrecks of battle tanks and troop transports. Some could still be saved by the tech priests, but there are only very few places where Claudius could see the, the typical signs of an open battle. The Ultramarine found a recording unit that was still active. Claudius should be able to find some clues on what happened here. He started to analyze the data feeds, digging deep into the pick feeds, Oxbex data, and Vox recordings until he could find and connect the dots regarding what happened here. So this is not a recording. Tibalt, the primary psyker attached to 1st Royal Tempestus Scion Battalion of Kitani V, rubbed his temples. Over the past weeks, he had developed a nasty migraine, which he could just about manage with a complex mixture of painkillers, recalf, and strong syntel uh, to get his assigned four and a half hours of sleep a night. At this late hour, it was time for his last recalf, accompanied by Sergeant Oliphant Krusk of the Tempest of Science. Tybalt had never seen the man smile or any other emotion other than scorn or mild disappointment. He had been his babysitter ever since the box channels lit up with warnings of a potential scene of threat moving into the sector. Tybalt tried to ignore the coincidence of his headache starting at the same time as the box stopped, the Tigers of Cathil, as the first battalion was known among the general population, had a healthy distrust regarding Psychos and the war. That Tybalt had so sudden headaches did not help matters. Don't worry, he told the mildly annoyed sergeant, a bit of a headache won't kill anyone here. The sergeant grunted his hand on his hotshot lass as Tybalt walked towards the window of the command bunker, looking across the main assembly square. The weather was horrid. Wind and rain had been turning much of the surrounding patrol areas into soft mud. As he stared in the darkness, Tybalt felt as something was looking at him, now looking inside him. His recuff fell on the floor, prompting a facial expression of Sergeant Krusk to switch from disappointment to scorn. Krusk turned the psych around just to see bleeding empty eye sockets with more blood running from in streams from nose, ears, and mouth of the psycho. Krusk dumped the excavation start of his hotshot last pistol even before his brain had realized what just happened, blasting a clean hole through the head of the witch. Instead of collapsing like any decent corpse, however, the witch remained standing like a puppet, its facial expression unchanged. A tremor drew Krusk uh, off balance. Fireballs exploded all along the outer walls at the same time as a shockwave ripped the already dead psycho apart, shattering the armor blast windows. Throwing Krusk across the room like a toy soldier, thrown aside by a careless child. Only his carapace armor saved his spine from cracking up an impact on a blustered pillar. Claws ripped through the already wakened windows as the lights went out, and within seconds, a number of Xenos creatures had invaded the bunker. Gene stealers and Gravenous flooded in, being greeted by a volley of hotshot luster blasts. Krask got back on the knees as the dim emergency light illuminated the bunker. Pain was overcome with adrenaline as Krask shot a Ravenna in the back that was just impaling Trooper Conroy. Next to him, Trooper Raphael fired his plasma rifle in short control bursts, hitting one gene still in the head, but somehow not killing him, while others dodged shot fires with unnatural speed. 
crushing into the defenders. Raphael's blood sprayed into Krusk's visor, temporarily blinding the sergeant. By the time he had opened his visor to see, he was eye to eye with the gene sealer that somehow survived the plasma blast to the head, half his ugly face charred, but the remaining eyes still filled with insatiable hunger. Krusk pulled the trigger of his last pistol, but it was already too late. The gene sealer shot flesh hooks deep into the sergeant's skull, ripping his skull apart. Meanwhile, on the outer perimeter, the Tempestino science were mounting a defense against these surprise attackers. A wild combination of forces containing Lehman Russ battle tanks of the 4th Kitani Armor Division, Skitari with way too many arms for comfort, and an assortment of civilian vehicles attacked the south walls, where Trooper Melvin had dug in. As Trooper Melvin boxed coordinates to the artillery, all he was greeted with the chants, singing praises to the four-armed Amnesia. Suddenly, a warhorn thundered through the night, uh, as Imperial Knights of the Royal Kithani Ulans had arrived. Surely they will make short work of the turncoats. Melvin peeked over the wall, but what he saw caused his blood to freeze in his veins. A mighty night crusader had moved in firing range, but on top of his white, blue, and gold-painted war machine, Melvin saw the body of Xena's creature, clinging to the carapace with her spindly legs. The creature had cracked open the hatch leading to the pilot's throne, and pulsating purple tentacles were all over the carapace. Trooper Melvin could com not comprehend the horror of the image before him. Dazed and confused, he stood until a spray of bioexits melted away his face. Brother, I'm pinned here. Claudius was pulled away from the recordings by a sound of bolter fire and Vox chatter. They come through the walls. That was Brother Agrippa. Calm and a matter of fact as always. Within seconds, his squad of intercessors was surrounded by gene sealers. One creature, with half its face charged by plasma wounds, jumped straight at Claudius, who fired his bolter in short controlled bursts, but the Tyranid evaded the fire with lightning fast reflexes. Claudius was hit from the side. Charface had been there to draw his fire and distract him, allowing another gene sealer to find the perfect time to strike. The Ultramarine felt the claws of the creature punching through the joints of his armor. His elbow smashed the tentacled face of the gene stealer, sending it back and giving Claudius valuable room to maneuver. As the Tyranid jumped at him again, he had his bolt rifle raised and the explosive ammunition packs punched straight into the gene stealer's skull and detonated, sending green vitae in all directions. Charface was at him again, faster than Claudius could react. The creature cut into his neck, back, and elbow joint all at once, and with an unholy thunder of cracking bones and ceramite, the Ultramarine saw his hand, lower right arm, and bolter flying into the, off into the distance. Disarmed but not beaten, he tried to bash the creature with the remaining fist and left knee, but was overwhelmed as two more Xenos joined the fight and dragged him down, tearing off his helmet. Claudius spit acid at the Tyranid, but again, its lightning-fast reflexes saved the filthy creature. The Tyranid responded with flesh hooks, shooting out, stabbing deep into Claudius's open mouth, shredding his soft flesh and liquefying his tongue. The last thing Claudius saw were tendrils popping out of his eyes and latching onto his brain to uncover all his thoughts and secrets. Three months earlier, Acolyte E66M Alpha walked into the working area of Major Spalco's Kefa. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The murderous genealogist uh, had worked tirelessly on deciphering the strange signs of Hive on the border. Pictures and documents were nailed, taped, and pinned to every surface of the workspace, connected by different colored strings and wires, reminding Cave of the connection between different signs and symbols. Cave's biologic parts have been behaving oddly since leaving Macrotonics. Sometimes it would black out just to regain conscious minutes later in a different part of the complex. But those were just mindset works. He was about to decide for everything. It all started to make sense now. The hive would always attack the fourth world of a system and ignore the others. So based on his calculations, he would be safe on Kitani 5. E6064 M Alpha bought and bowed and sent a burst of panaric to the makers. Praise the four-armed Amnesiah. What a special evening this is. Overview. High Fleet Angaborda was coined by the Space Wolf's kill team hunting down the infamous Dark Elder Corsair, Gronaki. Initially misidentified as the splinter of Kraken by megocyanologist Borkas Kiefer of the Violet of the Circle Varnak, Borka soon realized that this was the most likely splintered fleet of Leviathan, breaking away from the Octavian War. A minor Eldari craft role collided with Ungabonda, and the Xenos could only evade complete destruction by desperate transition into the webway. The Hive overran the Forge World Makatonex Prime, which itself had been under attack by forces aligned with the Death Guard. On Mechatronics, chameleonic nature of the Hive fleets was the first time identified. This splinter seems to rely on infiltration units to soften defenses, and it's in its way a number of gene pseudo cultists have developed. The number of cults is too large to be a pure coincidence, but the behavior most baffling to imperial scholars was for those who investigated the aftermath of the number of tyranid attacks. The high fleet appears to leave the ecosystem of entire planets intact, seemingly only destroying any imperial forces or advancing Xeno civilizations. Inquisitors of the Ordo Xenos hypothesized that this tendril might only pave the way for a more substantial part of Leviathan to come evenly, even closer to the segmentum solar. This splinter often acts as a scout unit and utilizes guerrilla warfare. Gene stealers, lictors, raveners, monologues, tigons form a sizable part of the spearhead, sabotaging or disrupting imperial supplies and inciting panic among the unfortunate guards of Skatari. This splinter has a real appetite for assassinating imperial commanders, showing an uncanny understanding of the human organizational structures. It is still unclear how this creature selects its targets, but it is disputed that its position strikes led to a much faster collapse of the Imperial defenders. Very cool. So that that's your lore. Um, yes. I, there's a lot of cool stuff that we can jump back to the beginning. I had a question. So you said you sure. want to uh, do some gene stereo cults. How would you paint their skin? Would you carry on like that blue color scheme through? Uh, no, the gene stereo cults, uh, my, uh, what I actually would, uh, thinking of is having a gene stealer's cult that's been taking over like um, uh, mechanicus forces okay so, um and since they've been so it would be based on uh the the for the defenders of mechatonics which i in kind of imagine it as somehow related to riser so they would be like more gray and orange kind of thing okay um, um that's cool and 
so that there's a, a little bit of a distinction, distinction there. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, one of the things I've also been mentioning in there is like the uh, the knights. Well, of course, can't really run knights with a Tyranid fleet. Yeah, yeah. Um, however, uh, now with these Chaos Knights coming, I'm actually considering of using the kind of the Chaos Knights rules in a way to kind of play as Tyranid infested <laughs> uh, taking over knights. Sure, sure, sure. That's cool. Especially with these Chaos Knights, they have these nice bits and pieces that they look a little bit creepy anyway, so you can just <laughs> add a couple of tentacles and creatures on top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. A couple cre creatures maybe on the base if you really want to get crazy with it. But yeah, that'd be cool. I like that. Um, I, want to, I want to hear more about the shapes they make. Is that just solely as like a distraction technique? Does it mean anything else? Uh, well, it started. Uh, well, the 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 basic idea is that um, the, for example, this uh, Megros Biologos, he was infected, of course, by a gene stealer. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, The way, <laughs> and uh, the the idea is that these gene stealer cults would not be uh, kind of traditional, like immediately um, forming new cults, but they would be more like sleeper agents. Yeah. And the way how they would be triggered is they, if they see these shapes. So. By analyzing these kind of patterns, it would kind of trigger his mind and kind of make him do things without realizing it. So, for example, he suddenly <laughs> finds himself somewhere else. He might have suddenly accidentally switched off a void shield generator or something like that. <laughs> oh, and no. so this is kind of ways how the, the hive can communicate with, with the people, uh, with the chain stealer cult without anybody directly noticing it. I see. Interesting. That's cool. I like that. Um, I like how you organized your lore where you kind of did like a summary, then told one story, then jumped completely into a different story, then a Vox recording in the middle. I really liked how you were able to share it. And then at the end, just kind of give another little overview. Um, yeah, I mean, this is one uh, one thing that I uh, thought about when trying to write a little bit of a Tyranids, because they're not really working as like a first person uh, yeah uh, perspective right yeah so yeah. i i thought uh what is a way that i can kind of show the story from slightly different perspectives so how do let's say the victims <laughs> see them and how how yeah, and yeah, because like this is the way that the uh, megos borkus Kiefer, like the way he felt his body parts melting away he was like oh this is no big deal then you got a space marine who is clearly just like i, I lost an arm but i'm still fighting like they were all able to do something differently with the Tyranids. Yes, very much. And also this um, whole idea that, um, of course, uh, the, the other thing that I uh, also thought about was this whole leaving entire planets kind of um, intact and kind of do as like a, as less a uh, kind of, uh, you can say refueling station for maybe yeah. a bigger high fleet coming along. So, yeah. they, so they are more like a scout fleet that are preparing the way for the larger larger part of Leviathan coming towards Selectmentum Solar. Yeah, that's very cool. And then like, so the way the biomass that they do take is just from like the humans they kill essentially or the Xenos. Yes, pretty much. So they, yeah. they uh, selecting the humans that they kill. And um, this is also why they, they yeah. uh, more go towards these kind of stealthy tactics because yeah, yeah. They, they're, they're not there to kind of lose millions of gaunts in some kind of uh, attack. They they yeah. try to use the humans against themselves, so to speak, that hence the genes to those cults and kind of yeah. sneaking in and selectively kind of uh, taking the humans out and then nomming them all up. Uh, <laughs> and then the rest of the planet is then taking over by the other wildlife, yeah. which then the 
later uh, high fleet can then just eat up for all of the biomass. <laughs> yeah, that's such a cool concept of like, uh, yeah, just kind of purging the planet and letting it refueling station. Very cool. Um, I liked in one of your stories how badass you made that first Scion. It like do it a quick draw on the Psyker, uh, but it was just way too late. <laughs> yes. He met Gene Steelers awfully quick. Yes, Gene Steelers are, I mean, nasty. But of course, I also wanted to show that the, the Scions, they are really good. I mean, in the yeah. world, so the Tempestive Scions, they are, I mean, they're not your average soldier. So I wanted just to kind of uh, show a little bit that they are not that, I mean, the only thing that's really missing for them to be Space Marines is really the armor and, of course, a lot of the bionics that the, yeah. the Space Marines get. But these Scions, of course, they're drilled since I think they start pretty much when they're like six years old. Yeah, exactly. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the, so he, he would shoot pretty much before he thinks in a way. And yeah. this is also how they drilled. Yeah, and even like hypno-indoctrinated, like they go to bed and they just like still are watching fucking quick draw videos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They go faster. He was really quick with the quick with the um with the pistol. But of course, in the end, didn't save him because gene sealers are a little <laughs> bit quicker still. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the other part that I thought was cool and uh, I would like to see more of, but I know it's not the point, is you said a lot of cool like guard regiment names and like even the Imperial Knight household had a cool name and you were just throwing out these cool names where I know they were just cool names, but I want more. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, I mean, the, the, this other, I mean, we uh, talked about uh, the to the color and like, um, chaos slash during nights and i'm actually contemplating of using those then kind of as the basis for when i kind of model some genes as cults and then also okay. some nights i mean the, the 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 colors that i've been mentioning there is what i thought about making sorry the basic night would be very well regal with this kind of purple and blue and white and gold yeah and then of course it's been infested by this evil <laughs> creature and yeah. so it would can kind of look a little bit a little, little bit different then yeah I wonder how like the machine spirit and the Tyranid infiltrating a knight would kind of work. Like, yeah, this is a, an interesting question. This is um, uh, one of these things will, how does, for example, a chaos infestation of a knight work, right? Because, yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of the same, same, uh, same thing. Um, I guess it's, the answer is it's incredibly rare. So in most cases, Knight would kind of fight back or yeah. try to accept his track before it's taking over. But yeah. then you have the one case, and also don't forget how Tyranids are extremely adaptable. Yeah, so if yeah. there's like a way I, to I find out how them, you can... Yeah, making a little exactly. brain bug that goes in and then boom, you're controlling the pilot without even the, the suit knowing. Yeah, so the pilot is probably still sitting at his throne and kind yeah. of, um, in a sense, might not even recognize that he's been taken over. And maybe yeah. the pilot is also seeing it as if he's uh, he's fighting this kind of uh, glorious fight for the emperor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this exactly. is also, they could... yeah, because this is also what a lot of these gene stealer cultists, of course, believe there, because they, of course, they're praying to the emperor, of course, to a different one. Yeah, yeah. And so he, <laughs> the pilot will still probably think that he's fighting for the emperor and doing the good fight and everything else. And of course, the reality looks very different. For somebody from the outside, <laughs> it would look like a nightmare creature. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, it, well, fuck, that's cool. I want to see some of your cultists now. I think you need to uh, get them written up or get them painted up. And yeah, yeah, I think I, I, I'm. I think I need to get some cultists on. But yeah, first, first a oh. lot of gargoyles and armor <laughs> <laughs> guns. <laughs> Let's talk about ninety guns. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
that's all right. Um, yeah, we don't. I, I don't want you to do that. I feel bad for you, even just hearing ninety gods. Yeah. No, actually, it's it's not too bad because um, um, I mean, since uh, since I started, uh, uh, let's put it that way, I wouldn't start a new Tyranid hive if I wouldn't have an airbrush. Yeah, so it really <laughs> makes makes things a bit easier. So brush painting Tyranids, I did that once in my life. That's enough. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> doing everything, everything with a brush. No thanks. I'm, I'm getting yeah. good for this. Yeah, uh, but actually, with the airbrush, it's really, really uh, relaxing. Actually, just mm -hmm. because also with the airbrush, you get these nice gradients. I mean, you see some of this picture, like this from the yeah. oldest, from this yellow to the green and to the blue. Yeah, um, it's it's really relaxing, and then you have just like an audiobook or podcast, and it um, it helps to kind of switch off from the day. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. I suppose it's a different type of painting. I haven't tried airbrushing, so maybe one day. Maybe yeah, it is, I have to say, at the beginning, it was extremely frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> but once once you get get the hang of it, it actually can get quite relaxing until, of course, the stupid airbrush clocks up again and then you have to clean it for <laughs> half an hour. Oh, joy. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, do you have anything else you would like to share about your lore? Uh, no, I think that that pretty much covers it. Um, just, yeah, you stay tuned on the Loham of Discord, I guess, for more, more pieces of the High Fleet. Oh, yeah, I've just kept bashing together, uh, how is it called, the Macaron? Yeah. This giant, yeah, that's usually a fortual thing, but yeah, uh, like you can also make mouth or whatever. Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. But you can actually build one out of a Tyrannofix kit as well. So a lot of people kit bashing them. And okay. So, uh, cool. So yeah, I'm gonna, and since this counted a fast attack, so it's going to make a fast <laughs> little demacron. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, post your pictures and um, yeah, show us all, all the things you got for this army. Uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening, oh, everyone. And uh, yeah, see you all on the next episode of Lore Hammer Listener Lore. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. If you would like to submit your story, you can email lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our Patreon page and support the show at Lorehammer Listener Lore. See you next episode.